0: My name is Annie Fernandez, and my name's Michael Fernandez, and welcome back to another episode of What Makes It Great. Today we are talking about Sunset Boulevard from 1950, ranked number 12 on the original list and number 16 on the 10th anniversary list, directed by Billy Wilder. Dang, I didn't realize it was that high up on the list. Yeah, it's just outside the top 10. But before we get into the movie,
1: we are recording this in person. For the first time in almost a calendar year, the pandemic kind of slowed us down. The last time we were able to do this was with the Jazz Singer, which was our sixth episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, just to share a little bit about uh, what's going on in our lives. Andy, you just bought a house. Just bought a house. You're a homeowner now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am your roommate. <laughs> yeah, so we are living together
0: and... um. We're so we're able to record in person now.
1: I know this is great. No more uh, pandemic, uh, quarantine, isolation, recording, and watching all this stuff by ourselves. Now we get to. uh, I don't know. I think the podcast is probably going to get a little bit better. We've got a little bit more inside jokes and stuff like that to uh, work off of and play off of. But I think this is a good one to start with. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. So, uh, had you seen this movie before? Never seen this movie before. Never really heard. I mean, I had heard of it, and once it got to the end of the movie, I was like, oh, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I I really liked it. It was good.
0: Yeah. Um, I had seen it a
1: long time ago,
0: and I only remember the famous lines, mm-hmm. um, but I don't didn't really remember much about the movie. So this was kind of like watching it for the first time.
1: And we got Ranch Wilder again. Yes. I mean, Billy Wilder.
0: <laughs> yes, another Billy Wilder movie. We have a number of his on the list. So this is our second one. He did Double Indemnity. Is that the one we watched of his already?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, and it had similar vibes to Double Indemnity. Definitely. Um, But before we go too far, how and where and when did you watch it?
0: Yeah, this one is available for free on Amazon Prime. So that's how I watched it. I watched it a couple of days ago and then again uh, this morning, right before we recorded. Nice.
1: Yeah, I watched it like yesterday i think yeah yesterday and finished it up and i'll watch the end of it again today just so i could try to get that line down <laughs> <laughs> well are you ready for your close-up <laughs> i'm ready let's do it
0: <laughs> okay well i wanted to there's a number of people in this movie but i kind of wanted to talk about them during the movie except for uh the main actor william holden okay so he was born william franklin beetle in 1918 in illinois His family moves to California when he was three years old, and he gets into acting and gets his first starring role in a movie called The Golden Boy in 1939, and he plays opposite Barbara Stanwyck, who we saw in Double Indemnity. So that's kind of already his... He's already kind of in the world of Billy Wilder. Hmm. Um, Then he has some success in acting before going off to World War II, and then he has his first really big success post-World War II in this movie, Sunset Boulevard. And he gets his first Oscar nomination for this movie.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the lead guy. What is that guy from Double Indemnity? McMurtry? Fred McMurray. McMurray, yeah. Who
0: I looked up later on, and he was in the Absent-Minded Professor and the Son of Flubber, which is... <laughs> the Absent-Minded Professor is the original version of Flubber. Um oh my God. He, and... Uh, and another actress that's in this movie, Nancy Olson, uh, plays, like, the, is the co-lead in those movies with Fred McMurray. So, mm. small world. Yeah, small world. Um, but originally the part in this movie was going to be played by a different actor named Montgomery Clift, but he backed out at the last minute and William Holden was able to sneak in there. So, it was kind of luck on William Holden's part that he was able to get this role
1: he's the narrator as well right william yes Holden. joe gillis the main character i like that i want to talk about that uh, later on so don't let me forget that he is the narrator
0: and then he works with wilder again on a movie called sabrina and that stars audrey hepburn and humphrey bogart she, and then
1: she the teenage
0: witch yeah right no i think it was a uh, i don't know what the movies but i've never seen it <laughs> um but it was a big movie, apparently. And then he does uh, David Lane's The Bridge on the River Kwai, which we're going to watch later on for, the, for this list. Oh, he's in that?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, cool.
0: And then he has kind of a late career comeback in um, The Wild Bunch in 1969, which is also on the list. And then in 1976 is Network, which is another movie on the list. Fun note, he was Ronald Reagan's best man at his wedding. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were they worked together, I guess, a lot, and and uh, were good friends. And and uh, when Ronald Reagan got married to Nancy, he was the best man. And then um, the American Film Institute ranks him as the number twenty-five best classic Hollywood actor. He dies in nineteen eighty-one when he was drunk and fell and hit his head and was bled to death. He's drunk. He fell and he bled to death. Yeah, he hit his head um, and just and exsanguination was the cause of death. Oh, my gosh. How old is he? Did it say? Well, he's 1981. He was born in 1918, so math. Okay. Yeah, he was math years old. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. Uh, the only thing else I want to talk about the movie is that this is another movie about Hollywood. This is the second movie on the list that's kind of about the movies, uh, Sullivan's Travels being the first one. Spoiler. I think I like this one a little bit better. Oh, I definitely SolarWinds like travels. this one better. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has a lot to deal with similar themes that we'll see in Singing in the Rain, the kind of transition from silent film to sound film.
1: Yeah, I. It has a lot of Singing in the Rain. That movie comes out in what fifty one or fifty two? Fifty
0: two. Just two years after this.
1: Okay. I wonder where that falls on the list because I mean I'm biased with. It's with higher the rain. Oh, it is. Okay. It's in the top ten on both versions. Okay. You know? Whew, okay. Good. Yeah. It's definitely better. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um. This is a really odd movie, and it uses like film noir conventions, um, and it's like the same director and the same cinematographer as Double Indemnity, and it uses those conventions to kind of tell a story about the movies. But it also has a lot of comedic and
1: kind of horrorish elements. Yeah, it's a murder mystery, and who's it? Gloria Swanson is that the main mm-hmm. actress? Mm-hmm. She is pretty pretty creepy
0: she's really <laughs> creepy um and her role and her character and lots of other actors and directors well her her character is kind of like a version of a real people and there's a lot of actors and directors in this movie playing themselves or versions of themselves or other people so we'll be talking about that a little bit throughout the movie okay
1: are you going to talk about Gloria at all before the movie, or just when we get into it?
0: Just kind of when we get into it is when I was planning, but we can I mean, I just have a little bit about her, basically, that she is She's very similar to her character.
1: Yeah, because I, I didn't do any research for this one. Um, We've just been kind of unpacking and still getting settled yeah. from the move, so I didn't do any research. But I had figured that she was either, like, filling in for an actress that was you know, did some of this kind of stuff and was crazy like this and, you know, couldn't make it into talkies after the sound or after the silent era. Mm -hmm. Um, or if it was like really, really personal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So she was a big silent film star. And when the transition to sound pictures came around, she had like a couple of movies and then basically retired. And Mm -hmm. this was her big comeback. Um, no, it's not a comeback. It's a return. It's a return. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then, uh, And then she does like two more movies after this. She doesn't really kind of do much more after this. Uh, It doesn't even though she does a lot of she gets a lot of acclaim for this movie and for this role. It doesn't really translate to a lot of success post this movie. Hmm. But yeah, that's all I got to talk about prior to getting
1: in the movie. Let's do it. Let's get into the movie.
0: All right, so we start o- We start off with the opening credits where we're actually on Sunset Boulevard. We see the str- this name of the street on the curb and the camera kind of floats above the street and we just follow the street itself as the names appear on the street.
1: Yeah, really, really neat shot right mm-hmm. off the bat. Um, yeah, it kind of pans down, you see Sunset Boulevard and then zooms out and pans in. It's like you're just driving. Mm-hmm. Driving down Sunset Boulevard. And we went to, we've been to LA like once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a couple episodes ago, it was for Casablanca, I mispronounced uh, Van Nuys Airport. (laughs) Van Nuys. Yeah, Van Nuys, which I uh, (laughs) learned from watching Cobra Kai. (laughs) So Van Nuys. But no, one time we went to LA whenever, I think it was for your high school graduation or something um i think we drove down sunset boulevard or we mm. went over there in that area and it was um way 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 more developed than it was in this shot right here at the beginning <laughs> but that yeah. was so funny i was like look there's nothing there <laughs>
0: that's interesting i don't remember it at all um what it looks like closer to now but um yes this is kind of well and the other thing is we don't see it. we just see the the asphalt yeah the well, camera I mean, like, is floating there was, like, and little... pointed directly at the street.
1: Yeah, but then like later on, it was like you're driving out, and there was like, or maybe he was driving down the road or something, and there'd be like a median, you know, just mm-hmm. empty with grass, and there like wouldn't right. be any buildings on the side or anything. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely, definitely not true now. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And the score, as the, it's shooting the street here, as we get the credits, is fantastic. It's done by a man named Franz Waxman. And I'd never heard of him, but um, the score is one of the better ones we've heard. It's, there's a lot of really bombastic, loud uh, moments to it, but I, I really dug it.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was good music.
0: Okay, so then the actual movie begins with some police sirens wailing, and we see a bunch of cop motorcycles and cars going down Sunset Boulevard, and we hear voiceover that's telling us about a murder happen- that happened at one of the houses as the police cars are all racing there.
1: Mm-hmm. And they go, whenever they, like, enter, the police Um, go to this house, and it's, like, they get to this, like, very, very large estate, and um, I noted, like, right at the beginning, I was, like, wow, it's super clean. Look at them all going up the stairs and everything. Um, this place looks, like, very well kept, and, like, there's, you know, very, very rich people living here, Um, and then, what well, they go up the stairs, and they find a body in the pool. Yeah,
0: so... They, yeah, yeah, they find stairs, a body sorry. floating and
1: yeah, it's outdoor stairs. It's all of like this
0: massive, massive estate. And yeah, there's this body floating in the pool and the camera cuts to a very, probably the best shot of the movie or one of the best shots in the movie where the camera is underwater pointing back up. We see the face of the dead body floating in the pool and the uh, police all taking pictures uh, the around outside the surface of the pool, from outside of the pool. Hmm. Um, that and we and the voiceover is like that's me basically (laughs) you see the body of a young man was found floating in the pool of her mansion with
2: two shots in his back and one in his stomach nobody important really just a movie writer with a couple of b pictures to his credit (laughs) the poor dope he always wanted a pool well in the end he got himself a pool only the price turned out to be a little high Let's go back about six months and find the day when it all started. I was living in an apartment house above Franklin and Ivar.
0: To do this shot, they tried to put the camera in a glass box under the water, uh-huh. uh, but it wasn't quite getting the shot that they, that they wanted, so they ended up putting a mirror underwater and filming this from above, outside of the water. Dang. Just a reflection.
1: That had to have been very, very difficult.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine the, the, techni- you know, the technical... Um, Trying to get that exact look, the reflection, everyone outside of the water kind of on the ripples, you know, to look right, but they nailed it. Um, And the voiceover is talking about this you're probably going to hear this in the papers and everything, um, but because there's an old Hollywood star involved, but I'm going to give you the facts. And so he's like, but in order to that, let's go back about six months. And so the shot kind of
1: fades away and we go back in time yeah we got another non-linear story here um just like everybody wants to be like kane (laughs) right
0: (laughs) we get a lot of these movies on this list that are have this kind of like bookended thing Mm -hmm. where they start in the future they go back in the past and at the end they go back to the present
1: day future Mm -hmm. yeah no it's very very popular
0: yeah um, so The Dead Body is a writer named Joe Gillis, played by William Holden. He's talking about being poor. He's kind of lost his touch in writing and his screenplays aren't selling. And he's in his apartment and two men come to his apartment to repossess his car due to him like make, not making payments on the car. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, it's not here. I loaned it out to a friend of mine. But really, he's hidden it in a lot across the street. And so whenever they leave, he sneaks out, gets into his car and goes to drive to the Paramount lot to talk to an executive named Shell Drake about a script of his to see if he can get some money.
1: And does he, um, at this point, is he, um, does he say that part, or that line where he's like, if they take my car, it's like they're taking away my legs. I can't get anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Or is that a little bit further?
0: That's a little bit further, but that is the, the general idea of, the, of what he's trying. He really kind of values his freedom. There's something tied in with his car that he attributes to kind of his livelihood or his life or... I don't know. He talks about how he grew up in Ohio and he's come to Hollywood to try and make it work as a writer and maybe if he take if his car gets taken away it's like that's the last the nail in the coffin that he's failed at this. Mm. So he's I think he's trying desperately to hold on to his his hope and his dream of of being a writer. Yeah. So and the car is maybe a symbol of that. So he's he's basically trying to rely this part of the movie he's trying to rely on every friend or resource that he has in order to try to he owes two nine two hundred ninety dollars so he's trying to make up about 300 bucks to try to pay them off so they can keep his car and feel a little bit more safe and settled so that's what kind of is going on when he goes
1: to shell drake the executive um what was i gonna say he's a writer wasn't billy wilder a writer initially and he wrote like co-wrote this movie right? He did. He was one of the writers in the movie. And his career started out as just a
0: screenwriter? It might have. Uh, I know John Huston was that way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Wilder, I'm not certain kind of how his career started now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but either way, he's, he writes or co-writes all of his movies that he directs.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, I was like, there's definitely similarities with Gloria Swanson and her character. And then I think possibly with Billy Wilder and this guy. Yeah, maybe. Um, but this, yeah, this movie is about the industry. It's very, very meta. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I like these little struggles that the screenwriters go through. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: So when he's when he's there at Drake's, he's pitching him this story that's been bouncing around Paramount called Bases Loaded about a baseball player who gets in tough with gamblers and is basically forced to throw the World Series or something. And uh, so he has a reader named Betty Schaefer come in, who's played by Nancy Olsen, and she talks crap about the story not knowing that Joe Gillis is in the room right behind the door. Um, and uh, she feels terrible about it, and then she, as a result, Sheldrake kind of turns down the story, and then he's like, there's no other work to be had, not even as a script doctor punching up anything. And he, And then Gillis is like, well, can you loan me 300 bucks? And he's like, no, I got... I know, I had to take out a loan to to get this, which I had to take out a loan for this. And so he's talking about all this stuff and he gets turned down every which way, basically. Mm-hmm. So then he goes to a drugstore to leave, make a bunch of calls to of his friends and his agent. And eventually he kind of meets up with his agent on the golf course and he asks him for a loan and agent turns him down. So he is...
1: His agent's like maybe it's time to get a new agent after yeah. he like aggressively he's like man I, I can't lose my car please please loan me the money and he's like mm-hmm. yeah
0: his agent's like maybe if you lose your car it'll be good for you that I mean it'll force you to sit down behind your typewriter and actually get to work he's like what do you think i've been doing yeah he's like i've been writing this whole time what the hell yeah so he's not of much help and uh so, I, so he's driving off and trying to go back home He's at an intersection, and at the other side of the intersection are the two guys that were trying to repossess his car earlier. And they recognize him, and whenever the light turns green, they make a quick U-turn and take off after him, trying to catch him. So they're racing down the street. He turns onto Sunset Boulevard, and he, his tire blows out. And he kind of makes a quick turn into a driveway and hides from the guys they pass him by. They miss him. And uh, he's rolled onto to this massive estate, which has an empty garage, and he goes in there and hides his car in the empty garage. Hmm. But uh, the garage is not empty. He sees this really fancy older car in the garage, mm-hmm. and he walks up to this really neglected mansion.
1: Yeah, so that's why I was... It's the same mansion from the beginning, but mm-hmm. everything is overgrown, and nothing is well kept. There's been no, you know, landscapers there. There's, it just looks abandoned. It looks like a haunted house almost, like life is just void in this building.
0: Right. And he compares it to Mrs. Havisham and her rotting wedding dress and the Great Expectations, if that, if you're any literary fans out there. But yeah, uh, yeah that one was lost on me. <laughs> yeah, it's just this like ma- very opulent and massive thing, but it's just not being cared for. And it's kind of from a time long past. And and uh, that's kind of the state of the thing. And so he goes in there, and he's walking up to the front door, and there's a woman that calls to him from the window. And he's like, finally, come on in. I've been waiting for you for forever. And uh, there's a man servant at the door, and he opens it up and calls him inside. And, and he's like, you're not really properly dressed for the occasion, and might you need to get upstairs. And, uh, and then Yeah, it's
1: like, really weird. It's like, he's late. Come on in. Like, please bring him in. Like, what the hell? Like, come on. And he's like, come on. Yeah. Go upstairs. She's waiting for you. He's like, what is the occasion?
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone's expected, expecting him or something, but he has no idea
1: what's going on. So we're already fish out of water. And he keeps trying to be like, um, no, 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 my car, like my tire just blew out. I just uh, pulled into your garage. like, uh, uh, But they like just keep shutting him up yeah
0: and it's a trend you're like this is really bizarre and it just keeps getting more and more bizarre especially and as he goes going up the stairs the servant calls up if you need any help with the coffin call me yeah
1: and you're like oh my god what is going on
0: (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he goes upstairs he meets this woman with these weird sunglasses and she's like the body's over on my massage table near the fire he always loved to look at the fire and poke it with a stick he goes over there, and there's this body that's being covered by some like blanket thing. And yeah, it keeps getting creepier,
1: like, oh god, what's happening? What's happening?
0: Yeah, and she's like, I want a white coffin with red satin and all this stuff. And then she pulls back this cover, and there is a dead chimpanzee under the thing. It is so creepy and so
1: <laughs> weird. Yeah, because the eyes are shut. And it's like, I mean, it looks fake, and it's definitely probably, I mean, it's fake but
0: the arm the way the arm falls
1: it looks real
0: that yes, part of it looks real
1: that part does
0: but the face looks creepy and fake
1: so. creepy as hell yeah and at one point i think this he says this to her. he's like um lady you got the wrong guy yeah. like i'm just my car just broke down i just pulled in here i'm not that guy but you know if i do put in my two cents um White and red satin don't go well for this occasion. I right? think yeah. <laughs> you should get a different uh, color scheme for your coffin for your little buddy here.
0: Exactly. And then uh, he turns to leave, and he's like, "I got to get out of this creepy place." And then he's like, "Wait a minute! I recognize you. You're Norma Desmond." Um, and that is, he's like, "You're a, you were big in the silent movies." Mm-hmm. And uh, she, he says, "You used to be big," and she responds with one of the more famous quotes in the movie.
2: I am big. It's the pictures that got small. I like
1: that.
0: Yeah. Uh, It is very great, and she does it in this very over-the-top kind of way. Uh, Norma Desmond is played by Gloria Swanson. Uh, She was a silent film star, like we talked about, and kind of struggled with the transition. Um, Her career basically died right after
1: the sound movies came into play. Yeah, she was uh, a yeah, very over the top kind of like um, that old English way of speaking, the transatlantic kind of thing that uh, Catherine Hepburn kind of does, but just a, a little bit more um, Broadwayy and old timey and dramatic. She's yes, I mm-hmm. was a great actress. The screen was got small, not mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very cool. absurd. But she gets really pissed at him whenever he is like, "No, I'm not here to bury this." dead animal I'm here because the car broke down and oh yeah you're that old actress and yeah you're washed up kind of he doesn't say that but it's kind of gives her that vibe and so she's like get out of my house get out of my house get out of my house mm-hmm. um and somehow it gets revealed that he's a writer and yeah and she's like oh you are <laughs> mm-hmm. and the other thing I wanted to say about her look
0: is uh, or like because she talks like that exactly like you described but on top of that she has the silent movie Actor mannerisms and face yes. facial expressions—the really over-the-top movements and mm-hmm. the teeth always out and the eyes big
1: and wide—and mm-hmm. she just looks really creepy. She has the it's... voice to match those kind of expressions yes. and stuff. But yes, it's she is still a silent film actress, mm-hmm.
0: and it's so it's so bizarre when you see that kind of taken out of its context and placed into a 1950s sound movie Mm -hmm. and that's like, but that's how she lives. (laughs) Um, it's bizarre. So yeah, she does call her servant Max in to escort him out. Max is played by an actor named Eric von Stroheim, which I will talk about him a little bit more whenever there's a very interesting reveal about his character. um, and yeah she stops him after learning he's a writer i don't remember how she learns that he's a writer i think he probably makes a comment about it
1: yeah he's got to
0: and she reveals she's written this script about salome and she wants cecil b DeMille to direct it a
1: famous director we haven't we haven't seen any of his stuff on this list i think he was the gold like earlier in hollywood history right and Yeah, we we didn't watch any of them.
0: Well, yeah, he worked in the silent era, but he also was working up through this time as well, making a lot of big like epic movies and historical epics, biblical epics, that kind of thing. Does he do like Ben Hur? I think he does like the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. I don't think he did. No, Ben Hur is uh, William Wyler. Gotcha. Um, But he does those kinds of movies, and uh, and she's like, I used to work with him. I was his biggest star, and he he's going to want to direct this thing, and so she wants. Uh, Gillis to look over it, and it's like stacks and stacks and stacks of handwritten pages,
1: yeah, like all tied together with like string or rubber band or something mm-hmm. like that.
0: and he me- he makes a comment about how it's like in childish scrawl. Um, and uh, he comes up with a plan though, and he convinces her to hire him to edit the screenplay for five hundred dollars a week. Mm-hmm. And she puts him up in a room over the garage. Max takes him over there
1: and tells him about how famous she was, how she had like seventeen thousand fan letters a week. They're a little back and forth though whenever he's negotiating the price and everything and negotiating doing this with her or for her. Um, he's like, Yeah, you can't afford me, like my, my rate's pretty high. Like yeah, I he's have to make a living. Definitely. And she's like, I'm rich, but um don't like I I know reasonable prices, like don't set whatever and then he's like, ma'am, like I got like, you know, a debt, like three hundred dollars. Like, don't even worry about that. Money is nothing. I am so rich, don't you know who I am? <laughs> like <laughs> And she's, uh, she's like, where do you live? How are you living? Like, all this stuff. And she's like, I've got this place right above my garage that it's an apartment. You can stay there. And mm-hmm. um, yada yada yada. And he's like, you know, I should take this home and read this at home. And she's like, Nope, you're gonna go to that apartment right now and read. Yeah. Um. And he's like, hey, hey, hey. he kind of planned it out all this way. I
0: think he just like played her like a fiddle, um, thinking that he's got everything. This is going to be a great deal. Um once he gets to this room you hear his voiceover talking about how everything and everyone just seems a little off and he looks out the window sees a dilapidated tennis court an empty pool with like rats in it and the burial of the chimp is happening in the garden (laughs) it's a very very bizarre setting um but then he wakes up the next day and all of his things are in the room oh gosh yeah this is weird (laughs) Yeah, he had he had let slip where he lived. And so sometime during the night, Max had gone over there and gotten all of his things out of his apartment and brought him over while he was sleeping. And uh, so he's running over to the house. And one thing that we know we didn't mention is like the house is so filled with stuff. And Mm -hmm. one of the things in it is a pipe organ. And as he was walking around earlier, the wind was, like, blowing into the pipe organ and making, like, random organ sounds. Mm-hmm. So those kind of happen sometimes throughout the movie, and it provides this really creepy
1: kind of background music noise. Yes, scary ambiance. Um, speaking of the organ, is Max about to start playing the organ? Yeah, but this time he wakes up with Max playing the yes. song on the organ. And I need to know what the song is. I forget. It's, like, Toccata and Fugue or something, like yeah. Fantasia or something It's something, like something in that. Fantasia. that <laughs> yeah but it's either that or i'll tell you what it reminded me of and i was like this has to be the same song and it's very very similar to how it was shot um in one of the pirates of the caribbean movies davy jones is playing a Mm -hmm. pipe organ on his boat with his tentacle beard yeah with his tentacle beard and (laughs) it's i think it's the same song or it's like very very similar vibe like Holy shit, man! This is an evil castle here. We got this mm-hmm. evil queen who reminds me of the evil queen in Snow White. Like her voice kind yeah. of sounds similar to it, and her fa- her face and too. Her face, yeah. And she, and the her motivation too. She's very vain and wants to be the fairest of them all. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this song that he's playing on the organ is creepy.
0: So he goes over there and he freaks out about, like, why is all my stuff here? And he's like, I brought it over last night. And Norma's sitting there on a couch and she's surrounded by pictures of herself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, he's pissed off, but he needs the job. So he sets out to try and finish the job as quickly as he can so that he can get out of there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but stockholm syndrome is about to ensue basically <laughs> and
0: she's hovering over him every time he's working he th- he takes some papers and throws them into the trash or something He's like what are you doing it's like oh, i cut a whole scene he's like which scenes you cut and she's like ah well you're where you go there's like but i'm in that scene He's like you're in every scene you don't need to be in every scene mm-hmm. he's like they all want to see me they send me thousands of fan letters blah 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 and and uh how i'm still beloved they want to see me on the screen and he compares her to like a sleepwalker or something and he's like, You don't want to disturb a sleepwalker because they're gonna hurt
1: themselves or something. Yeah, so, I really like that. He's like, Don't wake a sleepwalker, they could uh be startled and fall over or you know, fall off after what it was, fall off the edge or something mm-hmm. like
0: that if you wake him up. Which is a which he doesn't really have the full picture at this point, but that is very accurate as to kind of what is going on with her.
1: Very accurate. And it's he's doing it while he's typing that and well, the I narrations guess d- going on, so I was like this is cool. He's got the good, like, writer's perspective, and he's um, relating it to these abstract ideas and her actions and everything. It is, it is cool. And I guess because it is his voiceover, he does know. Mm-hmm.
0: His, the character in the moment doesn't, but the voiceover does because the is in the present.
1: Oh, yeah, and he did. Yeah, he's dead, <laughs>
0: so he does know. Um, but... Uh, she's just surrounded by norma desmond's um they watch her they watch her movies they have like a big oil painting that they're able to like roll up and there's a screen behind it and they play max turns on a projector and they're watching one of her old silent movies
1: but it doesn't start like that he's like some nights we would watch uh nights we would watch movies in her living room and she'd lift up the oil painting that was a gift from yeah and there would be a screen right there and we would uh, watch movies you know really really close right next to each other and she would always say it's way better than going out to the pictures whatever yada yada yeah and then he's like of course every single movie that we watched was hers <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't watch anything new or anything and with sound it was always just her <laughs> yeah and he makes a point she's like she sits
0: really close to me she grabs me sometimes forgetting that she's my employer yeah and... she holds
1: my hand or my arm and... yeah
0: and at one point she stands up and declares that she'll be back up on that screen and, like, the projector's behind her, so she's kind of, like, backlit or lit from the side, and it's a really cool kind of shot, and that's the final shot of the scene as it kind of fades out. We didn't need dialogue. We had faces. There
2: just aren't any faces like that anymore. Maybe one garble. Those idiot producers. Those imbeciles haven't they got any eyes have they forgotten what a star looks like i'll show them i'll be up there again so help me
0: the next scene is a bridge game where her and joe gillis refer to as or what joe gillis refers to as the waxworks which are a bunch of like old actors from old hollywood and wax figures now (laughs) yeah and there's a couple of them that will that we recognize did you pick them out no hb warner is one of them aka the actor that plays mr gower in it's a wonderful Life. Nice. And Buster Keaton.
1: That was Buster Keaton. Yeah, Buster (laughs) Keaton is one of those
0: guys that plays bridge with uh, Norma Desmond.
1: I saw his name on the credits, and I was like, no way, but I forgot to look for him. That's awesome. I'm going to need to go back and look at him. Yeah. Um, One thing really quick before you move forward. Um, Kind of similar to the Maltese Falcon. um, What's the main actor's name again? I know it's uh, Gillis. William Holden. William Holden. He rolled like two or three cigarettes already at this point. And he's smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes like the whole movie, um, and in this scene where they're all playing bridge, like I want to say every single one of them smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, they all smoke. are. But the smoke was really cool at one point. Whenever they're watching the movie in her living room, he like sits down next to her, and I thought I was like, that's really. Weird, like inside the house, and he's, you know, about to smoke a cigarette, like right next to her. Like, what if she gets pissed by that? But then again, it's the nineteen fifties. Yeah. And he uh, exhales the smoke, and then they turn the projector on, and the smoke is just like floating right there mm-hmm. in the light from the projector. And I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah,
0: I noticed that too. I'd forgotten to mention that. I love that kind of effect.
1: And there's lots of good shots in this movie too. The camera work is very, very good. Um, there's some, I don't know about deep focus, but there's some shots with like a lot of things in focus and. The foreground, midground, and background are all utilized. So yeah, I think we have some of that coming up here in a little bit.
0: Definitely. Um, so they're at this bridge game, and uh, during the game, the car repossessors arrive, and they found his car in the driveway, and they're going to tow it away. And he asks Norma for three hundred dollars so that he can pay him off, and she d- she kind of brushes into the side, and so he goes off to watch his car get towed away. That thing he's been trying desperately to hold
1: on to, that symbol of his freedom that symbol of his dream. This um. is one of the parts where we see Norma do some interesting social acting here too. You know, she's always so she's just like living her life like a star, like she's still a star, like she's sleepwalking like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um and she like never breaks that and she always has control over um jo- Joe or John, Joe, Joe Gillis. Um and he sees them at the door, and then he goes and interrupts her during the bridge game, and he's, like, whispering kind of over her while everyone's looking at her. The other three big stars of the era that are, like, she probably considers her equals, mm-hmm. um, and she, like, can't, in this circumstance, be super controlling of Gillis. So he, like, asks her, like, hey, I need the money right now. And she's like, this is not an emergency. Like, where's the fire? Or something? No, she says where's right. the fire afterwards, but she's, yeah. like, another time. Like, not right now. And then he's like, no, but I really need it. And she looks at him, she's like... Please. It's the only time she's ever polite mm-hmm. <laughs> or ever kind, and then he leaves, and I th- that was just a nice little subtle way of saying, "Get the hell away from me right now." I am with my peers and my colleagues, who are, you know, they will judge me and they will think I'm weak if I give into right. this right now.
0: Yeah, and then so when he goes outside to watch it being towed away, she walks up to him and she's like, "Is this what? The, where's the fire or yeah. something?" And uh, and he's like, "That's my car getting towed away," and she's like. Oh, we don't need two cars. We have an Isada Fraschini or something right there. Cost me $28,000, all handmade. And uh, was like Max will fix it up. And there was some article I was reading. It was like that car nowadays would be like four
1: hundred or $500,000. Golly. Yeah, $28,000 in 1950. Was this movie set in 1950? Do we know? Uh, probably. Okay. Or, or in like 49 or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay um and looks like a very very fancy old like kind of rolls roycey um but then it's got this like ridiculous leather interior everything not leather sorry leopard skin like leopard print everything inside like, they mentioned there's like a gold-plated phone in the car which she uses to call the driver who's like it's <laughs> a convertible like she could have just hey yeah, can you turn right. left you know, and she like, calls him mm-hmm.
0: and so cut to them being driven around by max and uh She takes Joe to, you know, she pays for him to dress him up in fine clothes. She tells him to spit out his gum, and he's become like her pet or an accessory at this point.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. He's like reaching for a cigarette, doesn't have a cigarette, and maybe it's not then, but he like chews a piece of gum, and I was like, hey, look, healthy. And then she's like, ugh, what a disgusting habit, spit out (laughs) your gum. Golly, times were different back then.
0: Yeah, and so we're just slowly seeing his freedom's been taken away with his car, He's now basically a plaything of hers, officially. And then a big rainstorm comes, which leads to a leak in his room above the garage, which means he has to move into the main house and be close to her.
1: They, but they go shopping um, on that car ride yeah. before the rain and everything and load him up with all kinds of nice clothes. So many nice clothes. She's like, you need a tuxedo with some tails for New Year's. And he's like, what the hell? No, I don't. He's like, I'm just a writer. I don't even have a car. Like, I don't have any money. Like, why the heck do mm-hmm. I need that? Um, and she gets him, like, yeah, this camel hair, coat, and everything. And then, yeah, it starts raining, and he's wearing all these nice clothes and moves into the house, into a bedroom that Max uh, shows him into.
0: Yeah, and so she gets moved into her husband's room. And by husband's room, I mean, don't mean husband apostrophe S. Yes, I mean
1: husband's,
0: like, plural. <laughs> She's had three of them, um, according to Max. And uh, there are, he notices that there are no locks on the door, and he's like, there aren't any locks anywhere in this house
1: which is funny because i actually noticed that about this house here that we're living in we just moved into brother <laughs> there's no locks i haven't noticed any. <laughs> i mean that's kind of a weird thing too i remember our house growing up we had uh like a little those little push locks on our door but yeah you could easily un- open them if you needed to um yeah so they have no locks but this not only did this this house in the movie have no locks um, like the real house that we just moved into um but this they don't have doorknobs <laughs> There's just like holes yeah. in the door that you can see straight through. Um, and yeah, dude, she's just got some mad trust issues. <laughs> well, and it's not that because of that. It's
0: actually because of her ma- multiple suicide attempts. Yeah. They've removed all the locks on the doors. So Max has got some reasonable trust issues. Yeah, the razor blades or knives are not left out. They're kind of hidden away. The gas in her room has been shut off. Um, so she doesn't have like, I guess, heat in her room. But I guess so she also can't kill herself with the gas um and uh and then max also says like don't look too close at those postmarks on the fan letters kind of hinting that they're coming from him Mm -hmm. so all of this is like a charade Mm -hmm. (laughs) that he is perpetuating to try and keep her sane ish and alive oh max the enabler yep uh it's new year's
1: new year's eve party and it's just the two of them. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. It's like this huge, lavish, uh, I guess they, she has a little ballroom or something. And mm-hmm. uh, they've got, like, two cakes and all this food and all this, you know, booze and everything. And Max is standing back there in, like, a string quartet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, music's going on. And she looks all dolled up. And he's in his tuxedo. And he's like, she's like, the guests will be here soon. Um, let's have a glass of champagne.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> And there's no guests that will be coming. They're dancing, and uh there's. He talks about. Like, the voiceover is talking about how he's feeling
1: trapped. Oh, no, wait. They're. Uh, they're dancing the tango. She talks about the floor. She's like, This used to be wood, but then some fancy schmancy guy told me to put tile on here, and I just waxed it. And please, right. we must tango. And he's like, Okay, fine. And so they're dancing, and then they just keep dancing, and there's some narration or something like that. And then um, he's like tells her it's like it's almost 10 o'clock when are the other guests getting here and she's like oh there are no other guests like this is just all for us baby (laughs) she's like i did this for you don't you love it like hold me tighter and he's like okay okay, i'll hold you tighter the hell is happening here and max is watching yeah and the voiceover is like I felt trapped, like one of
0: those cigarettes in a funny little cigarette hole <laughs> <Like>, there. <laughs> such a film noir voiceover, double indemnity line. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, she's, for New Year's, she's bought him a fancy cigarette case and and she talks, she's drunk sounding and she talks about how much money she has and I can buy us whatever we want. He's like, us? And he's like, I don't want this. I don't want any of this. I don't need you. And he fights, you know, they fight and. She gets mad and feels rejected and slaps him and runs off to her
1: room and so he just grabs his coat and walks out into the rain. That little argument is fun though. They, um definitely drunk, laying back, lounging on this uh, couch thing, and um, he's like, "I have a million dollars. Yeah, I have oil in Bakersfield." <laughs> he's like, uh, afraid. He's like trying to tell her, like, "You have control. Uh, I'll tell you what." And he's like. And he's about to, like, you know, tell her off. And she's like, oh, do it. Like, you should do it. I'll tell you about all the power and stuff I've got. You should mm-hmm. do it. And then she's like, I've got a million dollars here. Then I've got all this land up here and all this oil up here. And then I also own this business or whatever. And I've got all this. And she's just got tons of assets. Right. And she is loaded. She's like, I own, I forget, like, part of the strip. Like, she owns, yeah, three like. three buildings downtown. Yeah. <laughs> she is not going to be poor anytime soon and there's no way that he's this little guy is going to convince her to be rational or reasonable because she's just so so into herself and so I don't know so powerful I guess
0: Mm-hmm. and yeah so he they get into a fight she slaps him runs off and he goes out and grabs his coat and leaves mm-hmm. it's raining he hitches a ride he gets a ride to his friend Artie Green's house Artie Green is a, an assistant director in Hollywood apparently and He's throwing a big New Year's party, and there's filled with people and laughter and kind of all the things that he's been missing.
1: An old lang syne. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, he asks Artie for a place to stay. He offers up his couch, um, and introduces him to his girlfriend, Betty Schaefer, the reader that talked crap about his screenplay at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, okay, I remember you. Yeah, and they go. She's like, I read something yours that I really liked. that had this like, well, like I didn't like it, but there was the six pages
1: of it that I liked. <laughs> this like, flashback in it he's like okay how old are you kid she's like i'm 22 yeah he's like yeah, okay whatever but you know what you're kind of cute let's keep talking about this flashback that i let's keep talking about me yeah so they go into the
0: bathroom because the party is real loud and they're talking about the script that he wrote he calls, uh the bathroom the rainbow room yeah that was already green i feel like he was he was like making all these jokes about like how his apartment was set up like hollywood kind of stuff It's like over the internet he's like all these extras they only get a three drink limit and then you got to pretend the rest of the way and though it's over there by the
1: rainbow room he's like making all these movie jokes and he like walks up and they're like about to go in the bathroom he's like hey man i told you that you could talk to my girl not that you could have her be careful in there I'm yeah so stupid but
0: they're in the bathroom talking about she, the script but they are flirting like, uh... and like pretending to like be
1: in a play or something and yeah. they're like about to kiss and she's like yeah this is just shop talk um go away Artie. Uh, just go away and then yeah they get all flirty and get really close and yeah yeah
0: but then uh the phone is freed up cuz he was asking about the phone before and so they ca- someone comes in interrupts them right before they're about to kiss and he calls Max and he's like pack my things i'll have someone come pick him up tomorrow and he's like i can't the doctors here she got a razor and cut her wrists Ta-da-n. god yeah He's like, damn it. Okay, I gotta go. Yeah, so he runs out and gets a ride back. And he goes up to see her and she confesses. She's got bandages on her wrists and she's in bed and confesses to being falling in love with him. And he's like, oh, go be with that other girl of yours and I'll do it again. I'll do it again, I swear. Horrible. Yeah. And de- meanwhile downstairs the musicians are still going and they're playing old Lang Syne.
1: There it is and uh he's like happy new year and then she's like oh kiss me and then yeah. she like kisses, she pulls him, him in and kisses him yeah and uh fades out
0: on the kiss and
1: now he's trapped for a little bit cuz he's afraid that she's going to kill herself and yep. so they do like a little not a montage but it just like fast forward their time speeds up a little bit and mm-hmm. he's spending a ton of time writing the script and just being her stay in kind of lover but you know he doesn't love her
0: <laughs> yeah um, like Betty's calling the house looking for him, and Max is answering and telling her not to call again. Um, Norma tells Max to drive the script that she's been working on with Joe to the Paramount lot and deliver it directly to DeMille. Oh, because uh, somebody has been calling. Not from... yet. Oh, not yet. Yeah, it's okay. because after this. That's but, right. Uh, that's right. Joe is swimming in the pool that they fixed up, and Norma's there watching him, and then dries him off whenever he gets out, and she's like, "I've never been happier." Um. It's all very manipulative. They're driving off to go play bridge. They stop at a drugstore to get her cigarettes. And he runs into Artie and Betty there. And Betty says that Sheldrake's excited about the script that they were talking about at the party. And she wants to write it with him. And he, uh, before, like, he's like, I don't know. And then Max comes in as a drugstore and he gets called to go back into the car. And then there's this weird scene where Norma is, like, performing
1: for Joe. She can tell he's sad, like, he goes, okay, so they stop on the way somewhere, and he goes into that drugstore, and he goes and talks to Betty. And he lights up, I think, around that. And he, lights. what do you mean, lights up, like it's happy? Yeah, he gets happy that he's (laughs) talking with Betty about writing the script. He went into the drugstore to get cigarettes, that's what I was asking. (laughs) So he goes into the drugstore and, like, comes back out, and she's still waiting in the car, um, and... She's like, that was the longest trip ever in the drugstore. Where were you? Uh, where are my cigarettes? And he's like, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a bad habit. Uh, you need to quit. Yeah, he had forgotten to get them. Yeah, he <laughs> spent too long in there and he forgot about it. Um,
0: But this, yeah, this next scene, it's her performing for him. It's really weird. She, like, dresses up like Charlie Chaplin.
1: And does a good job. She
0: really, a really good, good impression. Good <laughs> he's, like, does his little walk, spins his cane, and has got the facial mannerisms and everything down perfectly. Yeah. Um. And, but Joe's voiceover is just talking about how he's thinking about Betty and and the script and writing the script with her. Um, Max says that Paramount's calling someone named Gordon Cole. And she's like, I refuse to answer that. Hang up until, unless DeMille is calling himself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and eventually they kind of get fed up with it. And Max drives her to Paramount to see Mr. DeMille in person.
1: Yep. And, uh, they drive their fancy, fancy car, and they go to Paramount, and yeah, they go see Mr. Demille. Um, and then before she gets out of the car or whatever to go into the studio, um, sure what's call it called? It's some guy like the front gate at Paramount tells uh, somebody, and you know, go tell Mr. Demille that uh, Norma Desmond is here for him, and so people are like. Uh, that washed-up actress or whatever. Like, why is she here? What does she want? Did you read her script? And he's like, "Oh God, yeah, I read the it script. Was it was terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the worst things ever. I can't. How am I gonna say no? Why is she here? Um, I thought we just like brushed it off. Um, and then yeah, she's like about to walk in, and they come and meet her at the door. But um, what's his face? Joe is like, "I'm gonna stay here in the yeah. car with Max. I don't think this is uh,
0: the best idea." <laughs> But Cecil B. DeMille is really
1: respectful of her in person. And to the guy who's coming to uh, tell her, like, tell him that she's here at the lot. Yeah. Um. He's like, "Do you want me to send her away? Do you want me to tell her to buzz off, like, for your boss?" And he's like, "No." And he's like, "Uh." He's like, "She's ancient." And he's like, "That makes me even older. I could be her father." And mm-hmm. I remember when she was a seventeen-year-old and. You know, I remember starting her career and yada yada yada. He is very very respectful of her. All of the young people on the lot don't
0: know her, but all of the older people recognize her instantly and are like very respectful and what sort of deferential to her. Like they're like, oh, Miss Desmond.
1: Oh, it's so good to see you back here. They treat her like a star. They're just in admiration of her. Like yeah, and they want. It's, I felt like they wanted to learn from her. Like some of the actors and actresses were just like happy to be back around her in her presence and. Oh, man, does she eat that up? Yeah, and
0: one of the lighting guys, like, turns a spotlight onto her, and all the uh, rest of the cast and crew see her and just gather around her, and, and just, like, s- she's just encircled by this group of people, these admirers. And uh, at some point when she was talking to Cecil B. DeMille, he, she mentioned Gordon Cole, and so he has one of his assistants get him on the phone.
2: Gordon Cole? Norma, I'm in the middle of a rehearsal. Now, why don't you just sit up here in my chair and make yourself comfortable, hmm? Thank you. That's a girl. Yeah. I won't be a moment. Bring me a telephone and get me Gordon Cole. Right. Oh, Gordon, this is C.B. DeMille. Have you been calling Norma Desmond? Yes, Mr. DeMille. It's that car of hers, an old Isata for Sheeny. Her chauffeur drove it in on the lot the other day. It looks just right for the Crosby picture. We want to rent it for a couple of weeks
0: oh i see and so he learns what he called him about and it's not because of any movie or script and uh he's about to go tell her about this and then she begins crying about how great it feels to be back at the studio lot and so he doesn't tell her that and he's like why don't you just sit here while movies have changed a lot since you know you were working on them just sit here and watch a little bit and uh as he goes back to kind of work on shooting his movie, which is a real movie that he made called Samson and Delilah.
1: Oh, really? I didn't know
0: that. So that they just shot some
1: behind-the-scenes stuff of him making an actual movie. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I did like that it was really him. It was neat. He's a good actor.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it's really Cecil B. DeMille. And uh, Joe, meanwhile, back outside, he sees Betty, and they're talking about working together on the script in the evenings. And Max tells Joe, like, which places used to be Norma's dressing room and which places used to be his offices, because he used to also work in the movies.
1: Yeah, he drops this cool line. He's like, back in the day, there was D.W. Griffith. Who was the other one he said?
0: (laughs) Somebody. Maybe Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah,
1: it's like D.W. Griffith, Cecil B. DeMille, and then Max, whatever the heck my name is. Von Mayerling. Yeah, Von Mayerling. Oh, Mayerling. Like, yeah, like, will we be mayor? And
0: um, the actor that plays Max is not an actor. He's a director. He, he is. is Eric von Stroheim, and he was a very big silent movie director as well. Um, he did a movie called Greed, which is one of the more famous silent movie epics. I think it's originally like 10 hours long or something. But it, That's cool. So that was
1: true. So he was up there with yeah, uh, DW. With, and yeah, that. exactly. That is very kind of biographical. Cool. Um. And also a really cool reveal to his character that he was like this big director from the Hollywood, you know, the, the early, early ages of Hollywood. And now he is a servant butler man.
0: Yeah. What happened there? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll learn a little bit more mm-hmm. later. Um, so then uh, DeMille kind of walks, takes, he pities Norma, I think, and tells Gordon Cole not to bother her about her car. And he's like, I'll pay for five cars for gordon cole if he just doesn't if he just leaves this poor woman alone basically Mm -hmm. and uh norma seems convinced that demille's gonna work on her film next when he finishes this movie but they never
1: talked about that
0: it's all delusion in her own head
1: yeah joe asked her how to go and she's like it went just about perfect like we're gonna start this whenever and he wants me to yeah she's crazy we
0: haven't talked about an aspect of her character that one of the reasons why she hired joe gillis to be her editor slash boy toy is that was based on his uh, his horoscope thing.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot about that. She's all into horoscopes, which just adds a little bit more to the crazy, <laughs> a lot of it more to the crazy. Yeah, Sagittarius,
0: like perfect. They work well with whatever she with whatever I am. I don't know. And the whole thing of like the day that she chose to go. Send the script into the Paramount lot or the Go Visit DeMille was based on DeMille's horoscope thing and hers and the, the day that had to line up correctly or whatever. So that's kind of why she decided to go then. So she's like, everything is destined by the stars.
1: Yes. And sorry if this offends any of our listeners. If anybody is into astrology, um but you're dumb <laughs> <laughs> just do a little bit more research on that stuff there's some good videos out there that talk about how all that stuff is um just nonsense um anyway then we uh, so she's convinced that he's going to work
0: on her movie next and so the next thing we get is a montage of norma getting all sorts of weird beauty treatments to
1: prepare for her role starring role oh man you know i work in dermatology brother um <laughs> In the nineteen fifties, this this scene all these scenes were really interesting. He was like an army of beauty experts come in and they uh, started treating her daily, daily. You know all this crazy stuff. She's got like a little, um, like a little pad that's tied. It goes underneath her chin and then it's tied on top of her head, and that's I'm assuming to hold like the fat underneath her uh jaw. I guess that she's accumulated over time <laughs> the sin the skin that's you know sagging down there to make that look tighter and. They've got some lights that they're trying to... Like early lasers, I guess. You know, just trying, trying to like her bags under her eyes. Yes, and she's got all of these masks and all these things. She's got like oven mitts on at mm-hmm. one point and like just these weird facial treatments and like skin masks and all kinds of stuff. And then they use like a microscope to like, look at all of her pores and her face to make sure that they're just not visible and they're super small and clean. And she's just so much money must've been spent into this. Yeah. <laughs> but funny enough, this stuff definitely still happens in Hollywood <laughs> and definitely still happens outside of Hollywood. Now that that in technology and stuff's become more accessible. And, um, yeah, it's a lot, lot of money that is uh, unnecessary. Yeah. Um. Also,
0: Norma is suspicious of Joe. She's noticed that he's been sneaking out at night. And when she goes the next time, when she goes to bed, we see Joe Gillis sneak out and take the car. And he goes to work with Betty on the script. Mm-hmm. They've been working night after night, and. Uh, Betty sees Joe's cigarette case that reads, that has a note from, that it's from Norma. And she's like, who's Norma? And he's like, ah, it's some old lady. Don't worry about <laughs> us. Uh
1: He's
0: like, I guess, embarrassed about his situation because it's kind of bizarre.
1: But then she talks about her situation with Artie, right? Yeah. Um, while they're writing the script. And he like, you know, compliments her like, it's really great, fun writing with you. I really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, well, me and Artie are going to get married and we're doing it at this place where it's cheap. In Arizona. In Arizona. It's like $2. <laughs> yeah. And so that way we can, I don't know if she says we can save for the honeymoon or they can do a better honeymoon. So she's like, just so there's no honeymoon or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Or like the trip to Arizona itself
0: can be the honeymoon. Yeah. I don't know. Something weird like that. Yeah. And uh, they're walk. I think it's at this place. Yeah. They're walking around through the studio and she's talking about how her family was a big movie family. She's third generation. Her parents were, you know, hairdresser and, and his, her grandparents were something was a studi- like her grandma was a studio like a stunt person or something. And uh, they kind of groomed her to become a big star. She went in for a screen test. They didn't like her nose, so she had plastic surgery to fix her nose. And then they she got back and they didn't like her acting. And so that didn't work, so she became a script reader. And now she wants to become a writer.
1: Now that you say that, there is one line that Cecil Cecil B. DeMille, Cecil whatever his name is, um, he C. says, "CB B. <laughs> DeMille, yeah." <laughs> he's talking about um, Norma when that guy's like, "We should just get rid of her, right?" And then he goes off and he's like, "I remember when she was a kid, and it's how cruel is it? What uh, that people, the press or whatever, can like, look at what they can do to ruin these people's lives, like these poor innocent." You know actors and actresses that are super vulnerable on screen up here, and they've got all their own issues and everything like that. And he's like, just mean words being said about them. Look what it can do to them. And I forget, but mm-hmm. it's kind of similar vibes. With he got a nose job, and they were like, Nah, we don't like you still. Yeah, <laughs> sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> One other cool thing about with, that we forgot to talk about with Demille is that he did really work with Gloria Swanson in the silent era, mm. and he called her a young fella. Whenever they were make movies together, and he calls her young fella in this. Whenever he first sees her, like, hey there, young fella. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just another real autobiographical thing. They're getting closer and closer, and they lean into, and they're about to kiss again, and then Gillis is like, "I'm gonna need you to help me, help us keep us apart." He's like you know, slap me or whatever. He like basically tells her to like push me away mm-hmm. um, because we can't do this. Yeah. And uh, he drives home, Max is there waiting, and this is where we get the big reveal about Max.
2: I'm not inquiring where Mr. Giddish goes every night. Why don't you? I'm writing a script, and I'm going to finish it, no matter what. It is just that I'm greatly worried about Nanan. No, no. Sure you are. And we're not helping her any. Feeding our lies and more lies. Getting herself ready for a picture. What happens when she finds out? She never will. That is my job, and it has been for a long time. You must understand, I discovered her when she was... Sixteen. I made her a star, and I cannot let her be destroyed. You made her a star? Yes. I directed all her early films. There were three young directors who showed promise in those days. E.W. Griffith, says he'd be the middle, and Max von Meierling. And she's turned you into a servant. It was I who asked to come back, humiliating as it may seem. I could have continued my career, only I found everything unendurable after she had left me. You see,
0: I was her first husband. (laughs) he's lived he couldn't be bear to be apart from her and so he just became her servant and lived there while she had two other husbands and all kinds of weird stuff and uh, actually the movie that they watched earlier of norma desmond early in her career was actually gloria swanson earlier in her career in a movie directed by eric von stroheim Oh my so gosh. it was one of max's movies it's the most meta movie yeah. ever <laughs> yeah so all of this it's a and that's an actual movie too that they were watching so it's uh it's all weird bizarre just <laughs> craziness and it just keeps getting more as you the longer you stay in this house on sunset boulevard the crazier you become or the crazier everything seems
1: Mm -hmm. yeah he's he is crazy and he it's just like yeah it makes you look back at everything he's done and everything that's going on in the house like oh man he just keeps on like he's just dug in early on whenever he got married to her after probably silent films and stuff were done and then he just like hasn't given up and he keeps on like insulating her in her own madness and in her mm-hmm. own little world inside this enormous house
0: mm-hmm. uh, next Norma finds the script that Joe's been working on with Betty while Joe is sleeping and uh, Joe goes back to working with Betty and they realize kind of how much they love each other and, but uh, he's like he can't do it and so he goes back to Norma's and overhears her calling Betty to tell her about Joe and her and kind oh. of
1: try to crush her basically yeah, and then he, Joe, picks up the phone. He's like, hey, it's me, Betty. Uh, come over to this house. See for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. uh, this is the only way that it's going to get better. You just got to come over here. And then he gives her the address or something like that and hangs up. Yeah, he slams the phone down. Norma loses it. She starts crying and telling him, I got a
0: revolver the other day, but I stood in front of the mirror and I couldn't do it. Um, and she's telling him, so, come on, just shout at me, but don't be mad at me. Don't hate me, but just shout at me. And and he just kind of doesn't do anything. But then Betty arrives and Joe very callously kind of shows her around and is detailing his relationship
1: with Norma. Mm-hmm. He's like, you see, <laughs> like, this is Norma at De- Desmond's house. And he's like, you don't know how you can tell? Because there's a billion pictures of her every single square inch of this house. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, you see right there but there's those duplicate pictures, like those two the exact same? Yep. That's her. She likes the way those look. <laughs> yeah. And I've got all these fancy
0: clothes and these fancy cigarette cases and jewelry and all kinds of stuff because of what I do. You want to know what I do? She's <laughs> like, just let's pretend I never came here. Let's just pack your things and let's go. Let's get out of here. Yeah.
1: She like recognizes. Oh, man. I do love this guy, but this is a terrible situation. Um, I will get over this like... Let's just get out now. Let me save you now. Let's run now, and we can be happy. Like, we can forget this ever happened. Yeah, but he doesn't take that out. He just insists on hurting her, basically, and he keeps going. And, and he, what does he say? He's like,
0: you got to get married. I don't like you. Yeah, he, he shows her the way out with one last tease. He's like, you can finish the script on your way to marry Artie in Arizona, and if you come back and you ever want to take a dip, there's a pool right over here. And he turns the lights on to show the pool. <laughs> and uh, she's crying and leaves and joe goes back upstairs where norm has been watching and she thanks him but he kind of just ignores her he's pissed off and Mm -hmm. walks straight past her and he's packing to leave and and uh and she goes in she's uh ticked off and she threatens to kill herself again with the gun and she she runs off to go get the gun and show him and he's like this is between this is just between yourself and yourself <laughs> He's yeah. like this isn't
1: between you and me it's between you and you yeah he's like uh you slit your wrist that one time and i've been here this whole time and like i've just been kind of you know being really kind to you and staying here so you wouldn't kill yourself but then you still got to that point and like this is between you and you like i don't really i don't want to push you in any which direction on this like you got a yeah, you're mm-hmm. crazy. He's trying to say, like, I'm not going to be manipulated by you anymore. He's like, uh, it's like that part in Rush Hour 2. He's like, man, we really could have had something. It's like You were really fun. <laughs> we could have had
2: something special. But you one crazy ass bitch. We
1: could have had something
0: special. He goes away and, and, uh, Gillis. Oh, but before he goes away, he's like, DeMille is not going to be making the movie. Mm-hmm. They just wanted your car and max is the one that's been writing the fan letters yeah, he, he tells her the he, truth he tells her throws out everything and she's like max is that true and he's like I, I know you're you're the famous you're super you're the greatest star of them all and she just like looks up crazed with this crazy
1: you heard him i'm a star
2: norma you're a woman of 50 now grow up there's nothing tragic about being 50 not unless you try to be 25
0: by Norma.
1: No one ever leaves
2: a star. That's what makes one a star.
0: So he goes down the stairs and out the door and Norma follows him with the gun and shoots him three times in the back and he falls into the pool.
2: Joe!
1: beginning of the movie now (laughs) back to the present day
0: with the body floating in the pool the police pull the body out gently cops reporters and newsreel cameramen from paramount are all there and joe's body gets taken away on a stretcher um there's some reporters upstairs dictating the stories over the phone apparently that's a real gossip columnist named hedda hopper
1: cool who's playing herself um and uh yeah the police officer like tries to use the phone in the house and he's like uh, I need the coroner's office, and then who's on the phone? Yeah, who's <laughs> on the phone? And then this reporter, and yeah. she's like, M- "Mine's more important." Okay, right. hold on.
0: <laughs> uh, the police are there trying to ask Norma questions, and Norma's just like looking in the mirror, putting
1: makeup on. These questions that they ask, okay. <laughs> Remind me, I gotta send you this video about this FBI interrogator, <laughs> um, this interviewer, not interrogator, and he's just talking about how you really want, like, how you should interview right. a suspect in order for them to willingly give you the information, you know? Mm-hmm. Um these cops are not doing that. They're like <laughs> they're like <laughs> he's like, he's dead in the pool. Did you kill him? Did he steal something from you? And they like keep giving her these potential stories that she could cling right. on to and like lie about and like like, was, uh, who was the guy? Were you in love? Did you know him? Like, they just keep on going, and she's mm-hmm. just, like, doing her makeup and just crazy eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's out of it. She, I don't think she even hears them or no. registers. Um, and then she's like, excuse me, gentlemen, uh, my scene is coming up. I need to get ready. Yeah, she snaps out of it when she hears that there's cameras downstairs. She's like, cameras downstairs? Yeah. And uh, she asks Max what it's about, and she thinks it's Cecil B. DeMille's there to shoot the movie. And the police whisperer was like, well, this is one way to get her downstairs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Max kind of, like, looks at them and looks back down at her and looks back at him. He's like, I'm going to play along. Like, she'll get out of the house here. Yeah. "Yeah, Okay, let's do it. Let's play along for one last time. This crazy person's going to be in control one last time. So she's like, I got to get ready for my
0: scene. So she gets ready. And Max goes downstairs and starts directing the newsreel cameras. Mm -hmm. They're Paramount cameras. This is Paramount News. Yeah. Yeah. He calls for quiet and lights and and norma comes she's like what scene is this and he's like this is the palace staircase he's like "Ah, yes and and he calls these cameras action
1: and she's like walking down the stairs with her hands up while all these news reporters and people and like you can see a light on the stairs like had she been paying any attention she'd be like, oh this is not a professional Mm -hmm. film studio yeah film set or anything like that and she's just silent acting her way down the stairs and there's that loud
0: score of it's very tango-like it's playing and there's paparazzi and reporters all around the staircase that she's walking past and she gets down to the bottom and she pauses the scene at the bottom of the stairs she's like i
2: can't go on with the scene i'm too happy mr demille do you mind if i say a few words thank you i just want to tell you all how happy i am to be back in the studio making a picture again you don't know how much I've missed all of you and I promise you I'll never desert you again.
1: She has a
0: really cool line where she says something like about all you people out there in the dark. So I like that's something that I've heard before mm. um, in reference to the audience.
1: Oh, when she, she like breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. and she looks directly at the camera and she's looking at everybody with this crazy look. Just us
2: and the camera. Those wonderful people out
0: there in the dark and then she says the final line of the movie while looking directly into the camera all
2: right mr. DeMille I'm ready for my close-up
0: She steps closer to the camera and the camera kind of gets fuzzy and her face takes up the full frame and then it fades out and that's the end of Sunset
1: Boulevard yeah it's a very chilling ending very <laughs> chilling she is so creepy What a good movie. I really liked this movie. Yeah, I think...
0: Well, we'll talk about it here in a second. So, the reception of the movie, it had a mixed reaction from Hollywood types. Some of them praised it thinking it was genius. Barbara Stanwyck from Double Indemnity apparently bent down and kissed the hem of Gloria Swanson's dress. Oh, no. She's (laughs) probably, like, really going to become crazy if you did that. Right. (laughs) Um, But one of the, like, big executives, I think it was, like, mayor... Uh, from mgm or something is like that lunatic referring to billy wilder is like just basically shit on the industry that made him and uh apparently wilder went up to him later on and told him to like go f yourself or something
1: yeah i have interesting (laughs) feelings about louis b Mayer after watching mank um yeah (laughs) and yeah i don't i don't know i think he was kind of a definitely a scumbag but yeah, come on. This was a really cool movie.
0: Yeah, and it, it cost about $2 million to make, and it made about $5 million. It gets almost unanimous praise from critics at the time. It gets nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Oh, uh, wow. Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Actor for William Holden, Best Actress for Gloria Swanson, Best Supporting Actor for Eric Von Stroheim, and Best Supporting Actress for Nancy Olson. Uh, cinematography and Editing doesn't win any of those it wins three oh, good. Um, for screenplay art direction and score okay um, i think all of those were very very exceptional in this movie right uh it is ranked on the american film institute as the number 12 and number 16 greatest movie of all time the score is number 16 greatest score of all time and it has two quotes in the top 100 number 24 is the I Am Big. It's the pictures that got small. Yeah, that was really cool. And then number seven is All Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm Ready for My Close-Up, which I mainly remember from Mrs. Doubtfire when he's getting dressed up with his mask. <laughs>
1: That's where I heard it
0: before. <laughs> I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> um, and uh, it's also what it was made into a musical on Broadway by Andrew Lloyd Webber. In the 90s, that's the the West End version starred Patti LuPone and the Broadway version starred Glenn Close. And a film version of that musical has been in development, but has
1: been pushed back due to COVID. So we might be getting
0: a musical version, a filmed musical version
1: of this soon. Cool. Now we will know what the heck it's about. (laughs) We'll be familiar with it all. That's awesome.
0: All right. Uh, That's all I have on Sunset
1: Boulevard, except talking about what makes it great. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, Do you want to go first? It's your house. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you want me to go first because you've been talking?
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll try to um, bring my thoughts together. I like the movie. There are parts of it that I don't like. I think that there are some, for me, there are some pacing issues that made it feel a little boring at times. I think it was mainly around the stuff with Joe and uh, Betty. Yeah. I think all of that stuff with them writing the screenplay and stuff kind of dragged. Mm -hmm. I liked the stuff with uh, Norma Desmond and Max and all of that just weird, creepy stuff. Um, I was like, maybe it could have done without that subplot of of Betty. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think also it served the character of Joe of him trying to escape this world. So maybe it did need to be in there. Um, It just felt like the movie dragged a little bit whenever it kind of went into those parts. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, Gloria Swanson's crazed performance as Norma Desmond is the highlight of the movie for me. Mm -hmm. It's such a bizarre character and bizarre performance, but it fits perfectly. Um, The setting and the art direction in Hollywood and just the opulence and the -the over-the-top decorations in the house is so interesting and it's just so filled with stuff there's a chimpanzee funeral this movie is weird and (laughs) um but it's also it's a movie about movies done right i think Mm -hmm. this is much better than sullivan's travels when it comes to that um and it's just the other thing like the score is fantastic and the other things i have is like it's those weird mishmash of genres that it's really interesting how it's not really a film noir Mm -mm. story but it uses all the film noir conventions Mm -hmm. That it works, and it's been a big influence. I was reading about how, like, a lot of David Lynch movies, like Mulholland Drive, um, which is another film noir movie about Hollywood. Um, it's very similar to this kind of a thing. I kind of feel and how influenced this could have been from this movie, and and uh, it's just it's one of the weirder movies we've watched on the list, and I think I liked it a lot, but there are things <laughs> in it that I'm like not too sold on. But overall, I think I like this movie quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I think it belongs on this list. Um, I I liked it. I think that, yeah, you know, like you said, Gloria Swanson definitely makes this movie great. She is the biggest part of this movie. Um, the behind-the-scenes stuff, everything that you talked about and the, all the research that you did... I think that's what makes it great. It is so meta. It's yeah. It says a lot about the industry. It says a lot about Hollywood history and everything. And I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the aesthetic was cool. That house was super creepy. It kind of reminded me of Xanadu from Kane. Yes. But just like actually filled with... Mm-hmm. Instead of just empty. Yeah, instead of just empty, it was filled with just pictures of Gloria Swanson. Um, <laughs> and... I don't know, the thing that I could, I think that could be improved on, yeah, like you said, the the side story with Betty, I don't think that it was just like, it could have been taken out, I think that they could have built on it or done it a little differently, because I think that the jealousy that um, Gloria or Norma Desmond derives from that, all of that is really important that she's like, you know, she gets even crazier knowing that he's got another woman and that kind of leads to her killing him, and that's part in part, what leads to killing him. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the music. I really, really like that uh, Max character. He's very, very uh, intriguing. Um, but this is a kind of a cool murder mystery, and I like the I like how the story and the like I guess the um, the narrative, uh, the timeline, how it wasn't linear and everything. I like that. It's kind of like Emperor's yeah. New Groove. Like you know, at the beginning, he's like, <laughs> This is me. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then go all the way back to the beginning. How did I get here? Um, but narr- <laughs> <loser>. <laughs> but um, what's his face? The main guy, I, I talked about the narration and how, you, how he was the narrator. That mm-hmm. is thought it was very interesting how he is the narrator and it's, he's dead, though. Yeah. Like he's doing it from the grave. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes it even more eerie and even more creepy. Uh, yeah. I like how she breaks the fourth wall and talks to everybody in the dark. Mm-hmm. I imagine seeing this in the theaters in nineteen fifty would have I would have peed my pants and should have scared the heck out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it worked. It was really interesting.
0: I liked yeah. it. And to your point about how it's he's dead and he's speaking about the story, apparently the original opening of this movie was in a morgue, mm-hmm. and we saw the dead body talking or something and with like, the mouth moving something like that, oh, and God. the audience like laughed at it. And um, the movie does have, like, dark comedy elements to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, the chimp is kind of creepy, but also kind of funny in a weird way. Yeah,
1: because um, they don't really explain that. No, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but,
0: uh, but they didn't want it to start off with laughter like that or something. that changed the, ton- the whole tone of the movie, so they cut that and changed that. Um, Good call. But, yeah, it's a kind of a weird
1: device, but it works really well in this movie. Yeah, well, I liked it. It was good. Glad glad we're back to doing these podcasts here, brother. This has been fun. Yeah.
0: Uh, (laughs) Next, you want to hear what we got next? Yeah, what do we have next? Next, we have another movie from 1950. Um, It's another movie that was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards that year, and I think beat Sunset Boulevard at a lot of them. All About Eve. Um, Okay. Ranked number 16 on the original list, and number 28 on the
1: updated 10th anniversary list. Okay, so a little bit lower than this movie on the lists, but be it at the oscars okay Mm -hmm. yeah and uh also if you're
0: listening don't forget to leave a review wherever you are listening to us and subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family if you're enjoying yeah Um, but for this episode my name is
1: andy fernandez (laughs) and my name is michael fernandez thank you guys for joining us on what makes it great